Aaron Sorkin's old TV show, The West Wing. Anybody remember that show? Um, it's one of my favorite shows. Leo, the um, chief of staff for the White House, told a story about a guy who was walking down the street and he fell into a hole, fell into a deep pit, and he was trapped down there. And so he begins hollering for help for anybody who would hear. A doctor walks by the hole and sees the guy down there, so the guy shouts up, Doctor, can you help me, please? And the doctor writes a prescription and tosses the prescription down in the hole and then walks on. Well, then a, a priest walks by, and the guy shouts up to the priest, Father, will you please help me out of this hole? And the priest writes out a prayer. Dear Lord, please help this man get out of this hole. And he drops the written prayer down into the hole, and then he passes by. And then a friend walks by, and the guy looks up and says, Joe, I'm down in this hole. Help me. And Joe, the friend, jumps down into the hole with him. And the guy goes, what are you doing? Now we're both in the hole. And his friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before, and I know the way out. That, in a nutshell, is what Christmas is all about. Hebrews 2.17 says of Jesus Christ that he was made like us, made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now that actually is a passage we will focus on next Sunday uh, in our time in the Word. But the truth in those verses and the heart of Leo's story about the guy falling into the hole are summed up in one of the most beautiful, powerful names that the Bible ascribes to Jesus. And that's the name Emmanuel. You see, the prophet Isaiah, some 700 years before the birth of Jesus, prophesied in Isaiah 7.14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. As you probably know, the name Emmanuel means God with us. What we celebrate at Christmas is precisely the reality reflected in the name Emmanuel. We remember and rejoice that God himself came to dwell with us to become one of us, for us and for our salvation. Today we'll see some of why this is good news for us by looking together at Matthew chapter 1. I invite you to turn in the Bible to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. So you find where the Bible is divided from old to new. The very first page of the New Testament will bring you to Matthew chapter 1. And we will focus together this morning on verses 18 through 25 of Matthew 1. Now, in this passage, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph and encourages him to accept God's plan regarding the child to be born to his fiancée, Mary, and tells him some pretty crazy and awesome stuff about the child. By this time, by the time we get to the, the, the account in this passage, Gabriel, an angel, had already spoken to Mary and announced to her God's plan for the child to be born to her, even though she is a virgin. So let's read a bit of Matthew 1 to get a glimpse of the story from Joseph's perspective, and we'll begin to understand how this unfolds. So 
Verses 18 and 19 of Matthew 1 say this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So we'll stop there before we go on with what happens next in the story. This is the setup, if you will. This is the, the setting of the story. The first thing we've got to talk about is the difference between betrothal and engagement. So it tells us that Joseph was betrothed to Mary. And in that culture, uh, betrothal was the arrangement that was made between families for a son and a daughter of another family to come together in marriage. And it's similar to our engagement in our culture in that it is a formal arrangement, a formal agreement. We are moving toward marriage. But it's different in that it is also a legally binding arrangement. So there, was a, there were contracts that were drawn up and signed leading into a betrothal whereby the man and the woman were uh, bound to one another, not only socially because we told people that we're getting married, but also legally because there have been documents signed that say we are committed to one another. Uh, the man and the woman in a betrothal were referred to as husband and wife. And in order for a betrothal to end, there had to be a legal divorce proceeding. So in some ways, it, it was closer to the kind of uh, legal contract that, uh, that, that our government recognizes in marriage. But it's, a, it's a, a prerequisite to marriage and a season prior to marriage where the, the couple are still... Uh, uh, not physically intimate with one another and still in planning and preparation phases. And so it's similar to engagement, but different in those ways. And so usually because it required like a legal proceeding to end a betrothal, a betrothal wouldn't end unless there was some pretty serious sin uh, or offense or breaching of contract, if you will, on one part or the other, probably usually related to physical infidelity by one partner or the other. And in fact, that's probably exactly what Joseph reasonably assumes about Mary when she is, quote, found to be with child. Because Matthew tells us that this happened before they came together. That is, before they were physically intimate with one another, because they weren't yet married, right? They were betrothed. So it says she was found to be with child. You got to remember, Joseph wasn't privy to Mary's conversation with Gabriel. He didn't have the benefit of inside information. Now, probably Mary tried to explain this to him, but just think for a second about how you might feel if your fiance claimed that the baby she was carrying got there miraculously, just like the angel that she talked to told her it would happen. Right? So Joseph is probably not out of his mind to be thinking, I think maybe she's making this up, right? I think maybe this is an excuse. So that's probably what Joseph has in his mind, in his understanding of the situation, when Mary is found to be with child. I was not directly involved in this, so there are only so many possibilities. So from his perspective, she was found to be with child suddenly and quite unexpectedly. But Matthew reminds us, by tacking on this little phrase there, uh, that the child whom Mary was found to be with is from the Holy Spirit. So we know 
the details of the story before Joseph does, right? We understand, and we've seen, if you've read Luke chapter 1, you've seen that Mary had a conversation with the angel Gabriel, where he said, greetings, you're going to conceive and bear a son, he's from the Holy Spirit, all that stuff, right? So, Joseph is not in on that conversation yet. But, Joseph's response is actually compassionate, and Matthew points out to us his character. He says Joseph is a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. Because if Mary had been unfaithful to their betrothal, he would have had the right to make it known quite plainly and publicly just why they couldn't proceed with the marriage. To be sure that his own character and reputation weren't put into question because of this unexpected turn of events, he would have been well within his socially understandable rights to say, this is not my fault, right? The betrothal is ending, and it's not on me, right? And so to make every, make sure everybody knows that in my reputation is protected, and it's all on her, right? But he's not willing to do that. It says he is a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. So he, dissolved, he, he resolved to divorce her quietly, all right? So things are going to come to an end. It has to end, but let's do it in a peaceful and tidy a way as possible. It's kind of Joseph's um, uh, tactic, his strategy here. And while I'm sure that Jesus would have turned out just fine had he been raised in a single-parent home by Mary alone, nevertheless, God decides to intervene and let Joseph in on the plan. And that leads us to verses 20 through 23. But as he considered these things, behold, which is like, check it out, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the angel, whose identity we're not told in this passage, though most people assume it's Gabriel, the same angel that appeared to Mary, the angel appears now to Joseph. And we learn three stunning and wonderful things about the baby that is growing inside Mary's womb. Number one, we learn that he is the son of God. He is the Son of God. We know that because in verse 20, the angel said to Joseph that the child in her womb is from the Holy Spirit. Now, if you compare that with Gabriel's message to Mary in Luke 1.35, he said this, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High, that is God Almighty, will overshadow you. Therefore, that is, because the child has come from the Holy Spirit and from the power of the Most High, therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So the fact that the child is from the Holy Spirit tells us 
this is no ordinary child. This is no ordinary baby. The child conceived in Mary's womb would be placed there miraculously by the Holy Spirit. And because of that, the child will not be merely a son of man, but the son of God. And not in the same sense that believers are you know, sons and daughters of God, but in the sense that in his, human, in his humanity, he is fathered by, if you will, the Holy Spirit of God. This baby is all of God in the tiniest and weakest of forms. We tend to zoom to the manger where he's an infant, which is crazy enough to think about. But before he was an infant, he was an embryo. He was in Mary's womb, growing and expanding. And you've seen the pictures of what babies look like as they're developing, the little kind of like alien egghead-looking things. Like that was the Son of God for about nine months, right? That's what he became. This is fullness of God in helpless babe, to quote the hymn in Christ alone that we sing here. Colossians 2.9 tells us that in him, that is in the person of Jesus, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. All of God in a human person, in a human being. This is like the genie in Aladdin. Phenomenal cosmic power! Living space. Remember that? This is that times a million. The power of God, what it means to be God, the creator and sustainer of the universe in a baby, in a human infant. This is no ordinary baby. This is the Son of God. Now this is good news because it means that the pattern of sinners begetting sinners Begetting sinners, begetting sinners is broken. It is broken. This baby and this baby alone is will be born without a sin nature, free from the stain of sin and rebellion that had plagued every human being since Adam and that still plagues every human being since Jesus. The Holy Spirit steps in and he interrupts the pattern and suddenly... Here is a human being who is innocent, pure, righteous, holy. Joseph, I'll be a first. I love how often Max got the, the message of God through an angel to people. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary as your wife. Because the child that she's conceived is not like any other child. I'm doing something new and wonderful and amazing here, and I want you to be a part of it. That's what he's saying to Joseph. Have you ever heard God say something like this to you? Don't be afraid. I'm at work here. I know what I'm doing. I want you to be involved. Keep looking to me and keep moving forward in faith. I think often that is the message that God has for us, and we're so wrapped up in fear and self-consciousness and just worry and doubt that we can't 
see the very presence of God sustaining and providing and leading. So his message to Joseph so beautifully is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because I am doing something here that you are going to want to be a part of. So we learn, first of all, that this baby to be born is the son of God. The second thing we learn from the announcement of the angel to Joseph is that he is the savior of the world. He's the savior of the world. Look at verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is just a like anglicized way of pronouncing the Hebrew name Yeshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. The Lord is salvation. That's what the name Yeshua means. Really, Joshua is probably even the closer English uh, name to that. Nevertheless, I'm cool with Jesus. You know, like Doogie Brothers, Jesus is just all right with me. All right, I'm okay with that name. Now, it's no secret that in the Bible days, long time ago, names used to mean something, right? Parents uh, gave their kids names based on either a statement about the circumstances uh, surrounding their birth or on some hope for their future. So it shouldn't surprise us that God is pretty specific about what he wants his son to be named. You know, Mary and Joseph could get a little bit out of shape about this, I guess. Like, okay, so you're asking me to go through with this bananas plan of yours and, like, carry the Son of God and deal with the public scrutiny and judgment and figure out how to raise this kid. And we don't even get to pick his name, right? But, you know, I think God picked a pretty cool name, if you ask me. Yahweh is salvation. Name him Jesus, because it tells you something about his future. Namely, he's going to save you. Acts 4.12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Call his name Jesus. What's he going to do? He's going to save his people from their sins. You know, our sins have been our biggest problem from the start, though we often don't see it that way. Sometimes we think that our biggest problems are, you know, I don't have enough money, or I don't have enough time, or I just can't get happy, or I wish I could find a husband, or I wish I had a better job, or if I could just be train myself to be more patient and gentle or whatever, Maybe I'd be a better parent, etc. But that, those things are not our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is that we're sinners, and our sin has separated us from God. Joseph, don't panic. Go along with my plan. Trust me. Call him Jesus, because he's going to save his people from their sin. He's going to take everything that they've busted and Fix it. He's going to take everything that they've turned upside down with their foolishness and rebellion and wickedness, and he's going to set it right again. He's going to find the sheep of his flock. 
that have wandered away from the sheepfold. He's going to gather them, and he's going to bring them back home. Do you know him? Have you trusted him? Have you been saved from your sin? Scriptures say it's as simple as believing and calling to him. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. So we learn from the angel that this baby carried by Mary is the Son of God and that he is the Savior of the world. The third thing that we learn about this child to be born is that he is God's presence with us. He is God's presence with us. To verse 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophet. And then he quotes Isaiah. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew tells us to make sure we know, which means God with us. Isaiah 7.14 finds its fulfillment right here in the person of Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, born to save us. How is he going to save us from our sin? That's the question that that begs. He's going to save us? How is he going to do that? Here's the essential answer is, He's going to jump down into the hole with us. He's going to become one of us. He's going to literally bring God's presence to earth. To walk on our dirt. To breathe our air. To feel our hunger. To close his eyes and drift to sleep. To experience our weakness. Limitation. To suffer. To bleed. To die. Why? Why would he do this? Why go to all this trouble for thieves, liars, murderers, adulterers, idolaters, rebels like us? Why not you break it, you buy it? Why isn't that God's policy for us? You made this mess. You made the bed, you sleep in it. There are all kinds of little aphorisms that he could have chosen, right? This is your fault. This is your mess. You deal with it. You live with the consequences. Why isn't that God's policy? Why didn't God just say, not my problem. I'm stepping out. Because, as John reminds us, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. You break it, I'll take care of it. I'll pay for it. That's God's policy. Why? Because I love you. That's it. Because God is love. God is merciful. God is compassionate. God is kind. It's about him. It's not about us. If we answer the question, why would God go to all this trouble for sinners like us? If we answer that question by pointing to something about us, well, it's really we're pretty likable if we get right down to it. Really, because most of us are really basically good people. And it just would have been wrong for him to not 
We're not basically good people. We're basically rebels against our Creator. We're creatures from the dirt, and we spurn the Almighty God. He would have been right and just and holy to turn the other way. Not my problem. The only reason he didn't is sheer mercy and kindness. I love you to be with you. That's what Christmas tells us. That's what the incarnation, God in human flesh, tells us. God says, I'll be with you. And I want to bring you back to me. 24 and 25, we see how Joseph responds to this. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. That is, they were not physically intimate until after the birth of Jesus. And he called his name Jesus. All right. You win, God. I will do this your way. Which is the right response when God calls to us. Very same response as Mary. After Gabriel met with Mary and said crazy things to her. She's going to conceive a son, even though he's a virgin. And he thanks God. Love that. Would that be our response? Oh, would that that would be our response when the Lord calls to us, when the Lord commands us, when the Lord speaks that we would say, may it be to me as you have said. Be with me. Call this name Yeshua. The Lord is salvation. Do you know him? Have you believed on him? Have you received the Christmas gift of Emmanuel, God, with us? He's here. He's holding out his hand. Take him by faith and receive the gift of eternal life now and forever. Let him help you out of the hole. You've been down there before. 